You're listening to Fanthatracks. Flip through the galaxy of literature. Welcome to Cannon Fodder. You're listening to Cannon Fodder. I'm your host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a very special guest. It's George Mann, the author of The Battle of Jeddah. It's an original audio drama that also has an accompanying script book. He's here to talk about that phase two of the high republic all the other works in the high republic he's worked on and much much more besides so this is myself and george man talking all about battle of jeddah george how's it going how are you i'm very well thank you thanks for having me always a pleasure i'm looking forward to talking about this because the second phase of the high republic has done the classic george lucas thing of going back in time so yeah. we're in a different well, we're in the same era but kind of a different era. So for you, having dabbled in phase one and now being more involved in phase two, how has that been, that that sort of very familiar to Star Wars fans kind of jump back? It's been very liberating, actually, as as a writer, to, to come into an era that, obviously, the, the original five architects had done a lot of work, a lot of background work, and then they'd written all of those great books and stories and comics set in that opening phase. So... Actually, it was a nice way to be eased in because obviously, like you say, I'd done a few stories, a couple of children's books um, set in that earlier era. But to come in at a point where we were jumping back in time and doing the, the George Lucas kind of prequel bit meant that although there was a framework in place that those guys had already put together, there was actually a lot of scope for invention and to be additive and also a bit less pressure because... Well, you know, there's obviously there was a lot of pressure in the sense of that I put on myself because I wanted to do a good job and, yeah. and continue the quality of, of the, the work that those guys had done. But I wasn't picking up the same characters straight away. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a case of having to go and write stories about Elzar and Avar and, and on the back of those those books that I was able to kind of come to it and write new characters. And I was lucky enough with Crestford in the City, the, the first book that I wrote yeah. was the first middle grade book of, of this and phase two so um i was introducing a lot of the concepts that that i say that there was already a framework that existed but i was able to build on that framework introduce new characters bring in some of the characters that had already been spitballed but were making their debut in, the, in that novel and kind of write my way into it without feeling kind of that i i had to be continuing a story that had already started if you see what i mean totally i, I find it interesting that Phase one of the High Republic was very much laid out as this is the peak of the Republic. It's the golden era, if you like. And obviously, we know where it goes because we're on that the long fall towards where we go in, I guess, Phantom Menace, really, when it all really starts to, to go crazy over that long decline. But also in phase two, showing you where it's come from, it does seem a bit more combative. It's not as well mapped out the galaxy that is. So is, has that been interesting in that you're still in the High Republic era, but it, it feels very gritty, very different? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that sold it to me immediately was the was talk of the Pathfinder Jedi. Again, that concept existed when I, when I came into it, that this idea that there were teams of Republic explorers and Jedi going out there into the unbapped frontier to make contact with other species, other planets, other civilizations to offer their help and assistance to build communications and, and set up these communications networks. Um, but the the opportunity for adventure and story in that is, is huge, of course, because you've got a mix of things you can do. You can tell stories where you see for the first time when Coruscant and the, and the Republic and the Jedi encounter these peoples 
um, that are already familiar to us. So we, you kind of get a chance to do that introductory meeting between those key cultures, but you also get to go and create a new world and go and tell a new story with Jedi being fish out of water in a, in a place where they're, they're not backed up. They're alone on the frontier with um, Republic medics and Republic pilots, and they're mapping hyperspace routes and they're, you know, they're meeting new people. And um, some of those people are going to be aggressive or then they're going to encounter dangerous situations. So that was very enticing to me immediately. Um, and also set the tone for me for the era as well, because you're in this point where you've got the pinnacle of the Jedi is, is formed there and on Coruscant, but they're not as expansive, they're not as knowledgeable as the Jedi we see later. So you've got this weird inversion, I suppose, in that you know the Jedi are at their peak in this period in terms of looking inward and their yeah. relationship to the Force and how in tune they are with their abilities and, and order. And we see that, like you, like you mentioned, we see that slow falling apart towards the phantom menace where they become you know effectively soldiers but at that point they also you know have a greater understanding of the galaxy and what's out there so you've got this weird inversion of kind of they've learned more but learned less if you see what i mean not to make too many star trek analogies but it's a bit like regular first contact situations that happen in star trek but they've got a prime directive and in this era there isn't a, a, a door there doesn't appear to be a sort of a codified fixed prime directive it's very much ad hoc on the on the fly you've got the force to kind of use as a sensitivity whereas maybe in star trek you'd have an empath to suss these things out i know there's parallels there always is but in this scenario it really gives you some latitude for some interesting storytelling doesn't it yeah no exactly that and i think i think that's the, that's very much the case with the jedi is that that they have the force they don't so they don't need a prime directive their moral compass is set by the force and by the the institution that they belong to and subscribe to so yeah it's very much kind of left up to their judgment on how to deal with these situations when they encounter them out there we got to know Jeddah in rogue one we've yeah. seen Jeddah already in cavern scott's run on the second run of the high republic comic Jeddah is obviously central to your story as well using that location something that was very very much loved by fans back in 2016 when we first saw it. Now it's become kind of a keystone to phase two. How interesting is it getting in there to, again, to flesh out, to give some uh, meat on the bone of this planet that we kind of feel like we know, but probably don't know as well as we think we do? It was brilliant. I mean, it was it was, it was a huge opportunity. So Carver had, had already planned that Jeddah was going to be a fundamental part of the comic. And then we got talking about doing this audio and what we realised in the process of doing it was, the audio is kind of, it's a linchpin moment in, in phase two where threads from different stories are coming together and they're coming together on Jeddah. So you've got elements from the Delray novels, from Convergence, and the, that are happening, the war that's happening between Irem and, and Erino. And then you've got what's going on with the Path of the Open Hand and the Mother and Martha coming out of Path of Deceit. And then I wanted to bring in an element from Quest of the Hidden City of Sandra show and having her on Jeddah. I mean, Cav and I worked quite closely together to plan all this, to plan what was going to be in the comic and what was going to be in the audio and how we were going to complement each other with the stories without treading on each other's toes and still allowing the latitude to tell the stories we needed to tell. It's such an interesting melting pot. Again, one of the things that the, the original architects had already worked out about Phase 2 was that um, on Jeddah at this time, the Jedi aren't particularly well respected. They're just one of another any other force sect that you know they've obviously got a history with the planet the protector statue is there and but they don't have a temple on Jeddah, so there's no outpost of jedi and i thought again that was that was a hugely interesting element to bring into the audio to be able to go and explore that thing where 
Jedi aren't revered. They're not hated in the same way, you know, like like we see in the in the in the movies with the um the Empire. But to a lot of people on Jedi, they they're just another force sect with another set of beliefs, just as you know, there were five more down the street who all have temples. And being able to explore the dark side and look at look at it in a different way, look at it in a way that wasn't Sith with the Brothers of the Ninth Door, the sect that I created for the audio. I really wanted to, and I brought this into the insider stories as well. I, I really wanted to kind of show that not all dark side users are bad guys. That light and dark aren't necessarily equated with good and evil all the time. More often than not, they kind of are in Star Wars with the Jedi and the Sith, but they don't have to be. You go down any extreme too far and end up in murky waters. So, you know, if you become a, a dark side extremist, which I guess is what the Sith really are they've got that hunger for power and they keep going keep going keep going and, and they become bad guys because of because of what that that drive is causing them to do not all dark side users are um necessarily fundamentally evil and that's one of the things i wanted to explore with with the, the brothers of the next door so, so while we do see some bad guys from the, that sect in the in the audio we also hear that some of them are out there trying to help people during the the battle trying to help civilians to escape and, and get to safety during the battle I think that was for me was a, a really interesting kind of part of exploring Jeddah and the cultures there. And of course, we have the Enlightenment Bar as well, um, which was huge amounts of kind of fun to write. That's a kind of another, another joint effort, really, where Cav already had this idea of a, a Casablanca-style bar where everyone everyone's welcome. It's kind of neutral, and he had Craid on, and he had the Twinkle Sisters, but <laughs> what? Um, which are brilliant. They're brilliant yeah. characters. Well, what I wanted to do with the audio and with the insider stories, which kind of work with them, was to introduce a cast of regulars there. And again, that was an opportunity for me to tell stories in the bar that didn't necessarily impinge on what Cav was doing, but gave me that freedom to tell some different stories. And I was thinking of it more like the Cheers gang, you know, they're always around the bar. Whenever you go into the into Enlightenment, these guys are sat there having a drink and they all know each other and they banter with each other. That became a really important part of adding culture and, and life to Jeddah for me as well, because it can't just be a moon or a city full of pilgrims and very religious people. Or, yeah. you know, there are people who live there who are passing through there like any other metropolis. So that's what Enlightenment was. It was an opportunity to kind of look at some of the locals, you know, the people who work in the docks or the miners or, or whatever it is who are also on Jeddah who see life come and go. Hey, this is Daniel Jose Older, and you are listening to Fanta Tracks. It's interesting that Star Wars at the moment seems to be very welcomely as well, putting a focus on people who live in the galaxy, regular people who live in the galaxy, not force people, not army people, not soldiers or diplomats or politicians, but just people who live. We saw it in Andor. It yeah. feels very much like you're going for that feel with this. I'm thinking a bit like when Alex Ross did... Oh, was it Marvels years and years ago? Yes. You looking up and seeing the Fantastic Four fighting <laughs> in the skyscrapers. You know, it's all happening around you, but you're still living your daily life. That's exactly it, isn't it? And that's what I try to communicate with Enlightenment and, and those regulars. It's like the Jedi arrive and walk through their lives, and we see the impact of that. We see what happens to some of those people because they're in the orbit of these amazing characters both good and bad, you know, the positive impact they have and the negative impact they have because they're like a gravitational body moving through someone's life. They drag everything with them, but then they go again. And then the people are left to pick up their lives, whether that's in, you know, in a very literal sense in Battle of Jeddah, they're picking their lives out of the rubble after the Jedi have gone. So they sweep in and save the day and it's great. You know, what, what would they do without them? But they're not always there to help pick up the pieces afterwards. And that's yeah. an interesting 
thing to, to consider, I think. And one of the reasons why people feel the way they do on Jeddah about the Jedi. It strikes me that we know that the Jedi have their centre on Coruscant and they're around the galaxy and, and part of that move to push forward. That there are these other sects, as you say, and some are on the righteous side and some maybe not so much. And we're in an era where there aren't any Sith because we don't see them again really till Maul and Qui-Gon really go at it on, on Tatooine and that's the, the big opening unveiling moment of their the start of their return. Is it the consideration that maybe like the Jedi have a base way out on Coruscant that these other sects have more formal organisations or is it very much a Jedi thing? It, it, at the moment it feels like it's a Jedi thing but is it more more system, more sector? I think Jedi's hinting at a bigger picture. I think, I think definitely there's lots of four sects on Jeddah who are uh, certainly in the way we've portrayed it in the in this era and these stories there's a lot of smaller four sects who have their temples or holy places on Jeddah that doesn't preclude them from having them elsewhere in the galaxy and we we haven't explored that so it's distinctly possible that sects of all different sizes exist and some of them have other bases elsewhere but i think the way where we really explore that is with the path of the open hand because they are one of those sects that was one of the reasons why kind of they're nested in, in that environment to show how they are a sect justina and tessa talk in um path to see about where where they come from where where the path originate and how they start to become the, the entity as it were the uh, the organization that we see in Ed battle jedda and onwards into the other books and we see, obviously, that Jeddah, for them, is an opportunity. That's why they go there. It's not because, I mean, it is because it's a holy place, but it's because of what's happening on that in that holy place and the fact that they want to get in on that with the forming of the convocation. This unofficial, well, it's official, but it doesn't have governmental legislative ability, this yeah. advisory body, I suppose you'd call it, on the force. Obviously, we, they've got a very inter- interesting perspective on the force in that they don't feel it should be manipulated in, the, in any way, whereas a lot of those other force sects do are they either kind of worship the force or they or they use the force as part of their daily lives or you know their worship they want to be on there as the naysayers saying please don't do this they effectively believe in that butterfly effect that yeah. if someone uses the force then well something else is going to happen on another world and it's going to be horrendous you save one life 10 people are now going to die certainly the earnest ones amongst them believe that and that's why they head to Jeddah. so it's the pilgrim moon you know essentially yeah. what they're doing there they're, it's a it's a pilgrimage to set up a base, to get involved. And different characters in, you know, I don't want to give too many spoilers away for people who haven't heard it yet, but different characters within the path have a very different perspective on why they want to get involved in those things. Some of them are doing it because that's what they genuinely believe. Some some of them are doing it because they feel that they can manipulate that situation to their advantage. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com. For Star Wars News 24-7-365. I'm just hearing you talk about it makes me think VHS versus Betamax and VHS won, but it wasn't necessarily the best system. (laughs) And the Jedi, you you assume, looking forward through history, that the Jedi kind of come out on top and these other sects, sort of like like Pratchett's small gods, kind of get forgotten uh, and (laughs) don't get worshipped so much. I guess so. I mean, you know, I'm talking from the perspective of someone who who loves the Jedi and I enjoy writing about the Jedi. So I'm never going to be a downer on the Jedi as such. Yeah, I think what we wanted to do, certainly with Battle of Jedi and, and Jedi in general in this phase, was to show that diversity. To show that certainly, I mean, we know this from Star Wars already, from the wealth of other stories that have been told, that they're not the only Force order that's ever existed. Aside from the Sith, then there's plenty more. We've seen that already and, and in, in the expanded universe before that. 
we kind of wanted to bring a bit of that back in as well. And how key, how pivotal is the Battle of Jeddah to this particular phase of the High Republic? I'd say it's a linchpin moment. It's where everything comes together. So we start with adult novels, the comics, the YA novels and the middle grade novels are all, all start on very separate paths. My job with Battle of Jeddah was to take the threads and bundle them together and then allow them to come out the other side. So it has a, a ripple effect that's going to affect the rest of the phase, definitely, yeah. both in terms of personal trajectories for some of the characters, but also in terms of galaxy-wide events and the, the war with Irem and Erino, which first looked like it was it was over. It looked like the situation was resolved and they were here to sign a peace treaty. Well, of course, by the end of Battle of Jeddah, that's not the case. And war is about to ignite in a big way again. We've got a little bit more insight into the mother and the path and what they're planning. And we've seen the Jedi and the nameless and the impact that's having on them i mean obviously again i can't i don't want to give spoilers away for where things are going it's definitely the hole through which every story passes i mean that was that was one of the interesting things about writing the, the audio actually is that most of the characters were passing through the story and obviously anyone passing through a story needs to change that's part of what a story does to, to a character otherwise there's no purpose to it that the characters have to change so it was partly a case of kind of taking a character and putting them through some trials or some learning curve or some, or at least some way that would reveal their story to the reader or listener, so that they're set up ready to go on into the next wave of stories. But one of the very insightful things that Tom said to me, the editor at Dalray, when I kind of first talked him through the outline, was there's a character in there called Keth, who's one of the regulars from um, Enlightenment, and he also appears in, again in the, some of the insider stories. Tom kind of looked, you know, he said, "This is Keth's story. This is his one shot at Star Wars." having his Star Wars story told because all these other characters are going to pass through and go on into other tales. Keth doesn't do that, not by virtue of whether he lives or dies. Again, I'm not going to give away spoilers, but just by virtue of where the camera's pointed at that particular time because he's one of those regular people who has ambitions. He wants to make a difference in life. He doesn't feel he's ever had the opportunity to make a real difference. He's an adjunct at the Church of the Force, sweeps the floors. But what that does is that puts him into that orbit that we talked about earlier, puts him into the orbit of these Jedi. So his story really is one of becoming, in that sense that he's bound to make a difference throughout this story. And it was a really insightful thing that Tom said to me, because I kind of then thought a lot about where to place that camera when I was telling the story and, and how to tell Keth's story. And it becomes a very, for me, anyway, as the writer, it was the emotional heart of the story. I'd be interested to see from readers' reactions whether they feel the same. But certainly, writing it, he became the kind of the beating heart. The story mattered because of him. Be, being an audio presentation, I mean, it's it's in a way, it's it's one step closer to live action or animation. It's it's got that because of the way it's presented. It's got the voices. It's got that sort of different tone to a straight up novel. Not that there ever is such a thing as a straight up novel. How interesting was that for you? You've done insider stuff, which is a shorter form story. You've done YA. And now you go and do something like this, which is becoming, thankfully, quite a staple of Star Wars storytelling now. Did you find that quite interesting? Oh, yeah, hugely. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, I've written plenty of audio before for Doctor Who um, and some big Sherlock Holmes stories that I co-wrote with Cav. It's, it is a very different medium, not just by virtue of the fact that it exists because of, through dialogue, because you only hear what the actors are saying. You know, you really try as a writer to avoid that overt 
the characters are only saying things they already know for your benefit. Sort of like, look over there, he's coming towards us. You know, you want to avoid that type of language as best as possible because it's not naturalistic. So you have to almost get your ear in and think about how do I communicate what's happening in the scene through the dialogue while still having the characters seem like they're speaking realistically to one another. But you're absolutely right about the one step removed from from live action. It's like, I didn't plan this book like a novel. I planned it like a TV show. I kind of, that's why the six episodes you know, I, I kind of looked at it and went, okay, I'm going to plan a six-episode arc. You know, this this might be the closest I ever get to writing Star Wars on screen. Um, I want to tell an exciting, interesting Star Wars story that feels like you get to the end of it, hopefully, feels like you've had a, a multimedia experience. I wanted it to be a different experience to an audiobook, for example, where you're just getting the prose read to you, which is brilliant. And, you know, I love audiobooks. I listen to them all the time. But this is different. This is an audio drama. So how how do we instill that drama into it? You know, it's a, it's a, it was a constant question um, I was asking myself. And is there enough conflict in each scene when you've written a scene to really drive that story forward? And, it just uh, give you the vibe of the Star Wars radio dramas. That's a great idea. Again, you know, I just thought it's it's it helps it feel different. It helps it feel different from a book. I suppose it immediately helps you engage your, a different part of your brain. You're effectively watching a, a TV episode in your yeah. mind's eye, hearing the characters talking and you're also it's a collaborative exercise in a, in a way that a novel's not so a novel is actually is, it's a very personal experience you, you know yeah. obviously it gets edited and you, you you work with the feedback you get but it is you and your voice writing that novel what you've got with a an audio drama like this is it's going to be performed by a, a vast array of different actors you know i feel very lucky with the the actors that were brought in to, to perform this you know fantastic cast but you've got to leave them the latitude to perform the characters in the way they read them, bring yeah. their own spin to it. So it's a bit more like a comic in that sense. When you write a comic script, you write the script for the artist. You don't write the script for the for the reader. Sure. Because the only bit that survives from your script to the end is the dialogue. And actually, it goes through the filter of, a, of an artist interpreting it into a different medium. Yeah. And I feel very much the same with the audio drama that, you know, you write the script for the actors to perform and the actors are the ones who bring the life to it hi this is vivian lyra blair and you're listening to Fantha tracks given that we've now got this phase up and running we're more than up and running probably midway i would imagine at this stage yeah. given where we are would you like the opportunity to do more storytelling like this where, where does your heart lie in terms of how you would like to tell a, specifically a horror public story wow Big question. Um, <laughs> I, well, I, I want to be part of the ongoing story. That's something that I'd, I'd love to be able to do, to keep telling stories. When we get back to Interface 3 and to keep telling the stories of these characters that people have grown to love and care about, I hope that that's an opportunity that, that comes my way. But the other thing I would, I would really dearly love to do is to tell more stories about the Pathfinders. I thoroughly enjoyed writing Quest for the Hidden City. Obviously, I thoroughly enjoy writing Battle for Jedi as well, but as we talked about earlier, there's just I think there's so much opportunity in the Pathfinders and what they are that we've barely scratched the surface so far. So that's something that I've already been banging my that drum to um to my editors saying, I think there are more Pathfinder stories down the yeah. line. I'd love, to, I'd love to tell them and we'll have to see if that opportunity ever comes up. But I would love to do that. And celebrations racing up on us like really, really fast. Any hopes of seeing you there for the show? I'm hoping to be there, yeah. Lots of details to be confirmed at the moment, but, you know, watch this space. I'd hate to miss it while it's on our shores. Yeah, because it might not be here again this decade. That's just how these things go. No, no, and I've I've never made it to a Star Wars celebration, so this will be my first one as well. Well, Panther's there with the Rebel Legion and the Mando Mercs and the Dark Empire and all those guys, so you'll have to swing by and say hello when you're there. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Magic. Well, thanks for giving us your time. Really appreciate it. And we will speak again soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to Cannon Fodder. If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit Fantatracks.com or check out the free Fantatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at Fantatracks.com. Comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Fantatracks and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James for composing the Fantatrax intro and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. Remember, tune in to Good Morning Tatooine. It's live Sunday and Thursday evenings when there's a live action show on, which, funny enough, there's one coming up this week at 9 o'clock UK time, 4pm Eastern and 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube. And check out our Fantatrax Radio Friday night rotation. It's every Friday night at 7 o'clock UK time. For new episodes of the Fantafum Down Under, Planet Layer, Desert Planet Discs, Start Your Engines, Collecting Tracks, Cannon Fodder, and special episodes of Making Tracks. And every Tuesday at 7 o'clock UK time for your weekly episode of Making Tracks. And that's me done for this episode, and we'll see you soon. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's Making Tracks.